that? Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you know what just happened. Um, I also want to add our firefighters and our EMTs and police because you keep us protected every day. If you're here, will you please stand? I know there's a few, or they may be out busy. I know Josh Smith is out working actually this morning, so thank you. Okay, so let me explain the summer plan to you, and then we're going to get going. Uh, this morning is a, a bridge morning. We're going to be finishing up our Let's Talk Spiritual Conversation series, and we're going to go right into our Compassion series this morning. We're only going to cover just a few basic principles this morning. And then we're going to follow that up with uh, what's in your backpack. And I heard Jordan mention it in our, our announcements. It will be a series based on uh, the Christian life as an adventure, one that should be exciting and one that should be joyful, but oftentimes we are weighted down instead. And so oftentimes as we're going through this journey in our backpack, uh, we have things like fear and self-doubt and failure. And we're going to look at some biblical characters that God used that, that had all kinds of uh, failures or flaws or whatever like us, and he took them from here to there, and he used them for great things in God's kingdom. And so uh, we're going to take things out of our backpack, and we're going to put things in our backpack. And so that will begin the first Sunday in July. So uh, WLW used to have a, a saying, maybe they still do miss a day, miss a lot, and I would hope you'll have that same attitude this summer as we go through our series and all the cool stuff that Cindy has planned that you'll be like, man, I don't want to miss church this morning. And so if you do miss something, you can catch the, the sermons and that type of thing on our website. So we're going to begin right now wrapping up uh, the Let's Talk sermon series with two testimonies. I'm going to ask my friends Donnie Kincaid and Dave Welsh, Dave's on staff here, if they would like to come forward. And they are going to share with you um, how just what would seem like minor conversations changed the trajectory of their families pretty much for eternity. It, it rerouted them. And so I'm just going to turn it over to them, and they can tell you uh, about their testimony. Hey. Um, first of all, Jim said I only had four minutes to talk, and anybody that knows me, I can't say anything in four minutes. So... Uh, my name is Donnie Kincaid. Uh, a week ago in our home Bible study, um, it was suggested and encouraged for someone to share their testimony. And since um, everybody in the group suddenly suffered from amnesia, here I am. So uh, just in the future, if you're in a life group, get one that doesn't have a staff member. Um, so initially, I, I really thought my testimony was really kind of underwhelming. But I realize that not everyone's story has a dramatic uh, come-to-Jesus moment. God can and will use all sorts of folks in your life to plant seeds. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 from the Apostle Paul that, after all, who was Apollos? Who was Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Growing up, I had a, lo a loving family, but God really wasn't in the equation. But my best friend, Mike Garrett, who lived down the street, attended church on a regular basis. So um, his mom, Marty, uh, asked if I would join her and Mike and his little sister, Jenny, 
for a weekly Bible study using these, first time I ever saw them, these awesome children's Bibles. I was impressed. Um, so uh, we did that, and uh, we had the Bible study down in the lower basement, which Steve again said not to say that because that sounds creepy, but it was, it was a great place. It was, it, was, uh, it was awesome. It lasted the whole summer, and um, the, the seed was planted. Move forward 15 years when I met Tammy. She was attending Westerville Christian Church with her granny Kate and informed me that I would be joining them for church. So I started attending and was baptized August 31st, 1988, the same day Granny Kate passed away. I remember going with Tammy to St. Anne's and sharing the news with her of my baptism, and, and she was pleased. To be honest, in the beginning, I struggled with certain aspects of the Bible. Because Tammy grew up in the church, faith was much easier for her, and um, it just that wasn't the same for me. It was, uh, the concepts were difficult. But she encouraged me to study and read the Bible and ask for God's wisdom. Then the following year after I was baptized, our daughter Kelsey passed away. It was a tough road, but I learned to lean on church family and draw from Tammy's strong faith. In 1993, when we relocated to Dallas, that really was the beginning of the gro my growth as a believer. We were involved in a church that was passionate about equipping their members to be disciples. In closing, I would say whether you are a Marty planting the seed or a Tammy watering the seed, don't ever underestimate what God's power is using in you. Thanks, Donnie. As Jim said, I'm Dave Welsh, and I am on staff here as the Global Outreach Minister. That just means they send me out of the country often to go visit people. Um, just as a kind of backstory, I was raised Catholic. I uh, went to Catholic schools, did all that stuff until I went to college. And then I said goodbye to that and just got on with life. And the military also. I just didn't. I figured I had enough. I knew it all and went with that. Um, my wife, Cindy, um, was not raised in a church at all. Didn't have any church background. But after we got married, we and children were on the horizon, um, we decided we needed God in our life and in their lives, more importantly. And so because Catholic was kind of easy for me, we went to the Catholic Church. She went through uh, the rite of Christian initiation to become a Catholic and did. Uh, we got remarried in the church. She had the big three. It was uh, baptized, confirmed, and we got married in the church all in one day. So we had a lot of grace going on. Um, but moving forward, there was a couple of people that were instrumental in my standing here today with you and, and Cindy with me, is that one guy uh, kept poking me about doing prison ministry. When I was still attending a Catholic church, and he just kept poking me and poking me about doing something different. So I did. As many of you know, I've been involved in, in prison ministry for about 16 years, but that kind of opened my eyes to a different way of looking at God and Jesus and relationships. Um, moving forward a little bit, uh, Cindy lost her, her sister uh, to a lot of health complications, and that created in her some uh, time to just think about things. And it was a tough time for her, as you can imagine. But a friend of hers that she went through school, VM, who had also been with us at the same Catholic church, suggested we come here. Just the environment was something that she thought would be 
good for her. And I told Cindy, I said, well, where you go, I'll go. So we walked in one day at Vianne's suggestion and never left. Uh, that was how this place affected us. And since that time, we've gotten more involved and more involved. And as I stand here as one of your ministers, I just feel blessed to be here and humbled. But again, as, as Donnie said, it's people that God puts in your lives that can point you in a way that you never thought you'd go. The guy that kept poking me about doing prison ministry turned my eyes into more of a personal relationship with God because all, those, all we do in, in Kairos is focus on Jesus, his love, and his forgiveness. And then with Vianne's uh, uh, invitation to Cindy, and we followed, I followed, to find a church that does the same thing. It focuses on God's love, his mercy, and forgiveness, the focus of Jesus. So that's just how those people that God puts in your life can have an impact and bring you to where you are. And I'm so happy you did. Thanks, guys. Isn't it interesting how just little conversations can just alter the trajectory of a family for eternity? And, and that's what we've been talking about over the last five or six weeks with our Let's Talk uh, sermon series. I want to wrap it up um, really quickly by looking at a, a scripture passage, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear threats. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. One of the things that we have learned and talked about throughout this whole thing is that people often are, they, they just have a fear of sharing their faith or even approaching people, having relationships with people. It's out of their comfort zone. And, and Peter's saying right here, hey, don't, don't let that uh, scare you. Uh, you know, it, people, if you do get pushback or if you have to suffer uh, sacrifice, that's okay because when we suffer for what is right, we are blessed. When we experience a pushback or we suffer for our faith, that should be a good day. It's when we're not suffering at all. When we can look and go, I, I don't suffer for my faith at all, that's when we should have a moment of saying, man, I need to rethink this whole thing. Then it goes on to say, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is where we have to be intentional about knowing God's Word, about being students, more than the just casual verse on a fly that we actually maybe set aside 10, 15, 20 minutes a day to get into God's Word and to study it and really try to figure out scriptures. We will help you do that. If you're like, I don't even know where to begin, contact one of the staff members and we'll help you get going on that. But often you will hear, I just don't have time. But we have to understand that prayer and scripture study has got to be the number one priority. And then if something's going to fall off our schedule due to busyness, it's something else, not those two things. And then, of course, it tells us here that we need to be able to respond to people with gentleness and respect, not um, where we are feeling disrespected or edgy because somebody has challenged us. 
And then the last thing, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, we live holy lives, lives that people don't look at us and go, hey, you're no different than me. What do you have to say to me? They look and say, hey, that person's different. There's something about them. I want to know what they have. And then in closing, it is, it is, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Again, it goes back to we will sacrifice, we may suffer, we may experience persecution, but if we do, that's a good thing. We don't like to look at it that way, but that's what both Peter and Paul told us in the Scriptures. So um, just to wrap this thing up, the church has a great giant gift for everybody. We have a new holiday. It's a three-day weekend, uh, June 23rd, 24th, 25th. It is Neighbor Day weekend. And so all you have to do tomorrow is go in and tell your boss, hey, the church is having a three-day weekend. I need Friday or Monday off, and you need to pay me. And, and so that's the deal. Now, what we're going to do that weekend <clears throat> is just give an opportunity, as we've been talking about, just to establish relationships and to love on people. And collectively, we're going to try to reach out that weekend. Um, uh, you know, maybe you might have uh, your neighbors over for a hot dog roast, or you might have a group of friends from your softball team go to graders, or whatever it may be. But in a couple weeks, we'll be putting out some ideas so that you can celebrate this new holiday, and then, of course, take an extra day off. And so uh, Monday morning, we'll be able to, you know, collectively talk between each other and say, hey, how'd it go? I have 50 hot dogs. Nobody showed up. Do you want to come over for supper? Or, you know, it may be one of those things. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't believe a lot of people came over. But whatever it is, we'll be able to get together and have that shared experience. All right. So let's head into our compassion series now. and Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we... Um, we pray as a church family that we will be known as a loving family, that we'll reach out to people um, with the good news of Jesus and, and that our homes will be open, that we will be hospitable people, and uh, we would just uh, ask for boldness um, and just a kindness towards other people. And now as we head into the, the topic of compassion, um, sometimes this can be very hard, and we just pray that as a church family we'll come with open hearts and that we will ask that through your word we will learn. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are going to begin our compassion series today. And we first want to start out by highlighting a foundational passage for both sermon series. And it should be up on the screen, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. What we're encouraging people as both individuals and families is to memorize this passage. So if you would, let's all read this together right now. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, just a couple things, and, and we're just going to move on from this, but as we go through the summer, this is pretty straightforward passage. When we come out of the water of Christian baptism and, and our, our sins have been forgiven, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> 
we're told, man, from that point on, our hearts and our minds need to be set on earthly things. Our eyes need to be pointed towards Jesus. That's the priority, not on earthly things. And so often, earthly things crowd out Jesus. And so it's that constant tension to try to keep our eyes firmly on Jesus. Now, at the same time, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. See, that's the thing. As a Christian, Jesus is our life. He's the number one priority. We may love the Buckeyes or another sports team. That may be a hobby, but Jesus is our first and true love. We may have a spouse or a special other or kids or grandparents or parents or whatever. We love them, but our first priority is Jesus. And if he is, he will enhance all our other relationships. And so this verse, this passage, I should say, is going to drive the other, uh, going to drive our sermon series this summer. And so just over the summer, if you would just keep talking about it in your family and memorizing it, that would be good. So I'm going to very quickly touch on three things that are critical to understanding compassion and its importance. Compassion is a core Christian character. It is one of the deepest things about a Christian. If you do a search of the word compassion or one of its derivatives, say in Bible Gateway, it'll pop up 82 times. It's something that Christians are as much as what we do. It's the very part of who we are. It's our being. And so that we can all be on the same page, we're going to use this definition. Compassion is deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the wish to relieve it. So in other words, when we see a homeless person, it's winter, it's cold, and we can see that there is something wrong. They are without clothes. We know that they're hungry. We don't just look and go, yeah, hey, that's too bad, or look at that, but that we will actually suffer along with. We take on their emotional hurt, and then we feel that we need to act on it, and we act on it. The word compassion is derived from the Latin word compati. I'm not that smart. I went to Clark Smith for this, by the way. Um, Clark, Clark knows this stuff. Uh, the word com begins, it, it means with, and patty means to suffer. In other words, to suffer with someone, and then we act on that. Now, compassion and kindness are kind of fuzzy. It's like, what's the difference? With compassion, you may see in person or you may see a picture of maybe a mom in Rwanda or, or Kenya or, uh, or Haiti rocking a baby, and that baby's got a distended stomach, and you just feel the emotion of a parent that is watching their child die and may not be awake the next morning. And you are moved then to act and do something about it. Versus kindness might be somebody's books fall on the floor, you pick them up, put them back, you're ready to go out the door, somebody's there, you pull the door open after you. Simple manners. Kindness is more a quick thing that you don't think about. Kind, uh, compassion requires more in-depth thinking and a much deeper sacrifice generally. So let's look at what the Scriptures tell us about compassion. First of all, if you're following in your uh, outline, our Heavenly Father is compassionate. 2 Corinthians 1.3, praise be to the Father, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion 
and the God of all comfort. Then Jesus demonstrated great compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Notice that Jesus would have compassion and then he acted. In Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They already have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away or they may collapse on the way. This is in reference to the feeding of the 4,000, not the 5,000. Then in Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. He, he felt their pain and he acted on it. We also know that we are called to imitate God. So we know our Heavenly Father's compassionate. Jesus demonstrated great compassion. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. As God's children, with God living inside of us, we have the same DNA as our Father does. And so we are called to imitate Him. As the Father is compassionate, so we as His children are to be compassionate and imitate our Heavenly Father. The writers of the New Testament instructed us to be compassionate. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Then Paul instructed us in, in Colossians 3.12, and I would encourage you, Colossians 3.12 through 14 is a great verse to memorize, both as individuals, as families. There's so much packed into these three little verses. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. In other words, this should be something people see. We wrap ourselves in these things with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then Peter writes, finally, all of you, be like-minded. The church should be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So now when we listen to all these things, something comes up. Jesus was asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And, love, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we think about that, and we say, well, how do I love God? And 1 John 5, 3 tells us this is love for God to obey his commandments. So when we are compassionate to others, we are loving God. Obedience through compassion is love for God. Now, moving to the second thing. The Bible has to be our guide for compassion, as it should be for everything else, our, our work, our relationships, the Bible is our guide. We use its principles, what to avoid, what to do, what promises to embrace. We trust it for our salvation. It's very common for us to say, man, I love the grace thing. I love the mercy. Man, I, I love the fact that Jesus took the punishment for my sins, and I didn't have to go do that myself. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm looking forward to the day we get to heaven. But then there are times when we get to other parts of the Bible, and we're like, well, you know what? On that particular issue, I'm not sure I necessarily agree, or I think the Bible's now out of step with that particular issue. 
And we have to be very careful because if we latch on to the grace, mercy, heaven, forgiveness thing and then throw out other parts, we're, we are making a serious error. You see, we can't pick and choose. The Bible is not a cafeteria plan as part of our eternal retirement plan. I came up with that. That's probably the most profound thing <laughs> of my entire life. And from here on out, I'm done, you know? Yeah. The Bible's not our cafeteria plan as part of our eternal retirement plan. Now, either the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's all accurate, or we have to throw it out. It's that straightforward. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I want to just bring up an issue here as we start to study compassion, and it really applies to everything in, in our Christian walk, is that the Scriptures are very clear not to add to or take away anything from Scripture. The Apostle Paul writes in Revelation 22, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Yikes, that's not cool. And then, and if anyone takes away from the scroll of, the pro of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. Deuteronomy 12.32 says, See that you do all I command. Do not add to it or take away from it. Joshua is told, be strong and very courageous. He has just taken over for Moses. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right or turn to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. See, oftentimes we know what the Scriptures tell us, but then we go, yeah, but I think I'm just going to go slightly over here or slightly over there or way over there. And then the ramifications come back to us because we veered to the left or to the right of what the Scriptures told us. Proverbs 30, 5 through 6, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, or He will rebuke you and prove you a liar. So now why am I making such a big deal over driving home what appears to be obvious? That is that Christians are called to be compassionate and we're to do what the Bible says. Because one, many of us, including me at times, struggle with being compassionate. And then at the same time, I think we're all guilty at to some point of the Bible says to do this, and then we don't listen to it. And when it comes to compassion and so many other critical issues in our life, we need to have the Bible as our guide. The, one of the biggest things about compassion is that there are tensions that exist when we go to show compassion. One of those is we, are, we have limited funds, but unlimited needs. Bill Gates and Les Wexner couldn't fix all the problems in the world if they gave all their money aside. So there's a tension. Who do I help and how? I'm overwhelmed. There's another tension of we need to be discerning. We may see a homeless guy that may seem out of place, even around here. Um, 
they have beards that are groomed better than many of ours. Their clothes look great. They look like they kind of rolled. I'm just, I'm just being honest. We're a family. We need to be able to talk about these things. And they look a little dirty, but yet um, it's been documented that some guys and gals that panhandle can make up to six-figure incomes that tax-free. And so we need to be discerning, like, okay, is this for real or not? Versus the mom sitting in a hut with tears running down her face, who's rocking her baby, who with the distended belly, that's not going to live overnight. She's never even seen a computer. She can't hold up a sign. She can't send us an email. There's a tension. Who do I help? Who do I help? Then there's the times when we're like, am I empowering or enabling? They want this particular help. And when I'm doing this, it almost seems like maybe they've made life choices, and by doing this, I'm enabling them. Or maybe it's just simply I'm taking away their ability to create and to work, and I'm taking away their dignity. We're going to talk about that because sometimes our helping in foreign countries actually takes away the dignity, takes away jobs from people that they would like to be doing. Or do I empower, and how do I empower? Do I use microloans or whatever it might be? So there's that tension. How do you show compassion to those living contrary to God's will? Sometimes we're called to have tough love. And then what about the tension when we have our personal opinion? Well, I think that this is how we handle this. But then when we look at the Scriptures and we go, well, if I take this, 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 and add them all together, that's different. And so my personal opinion does not match up probably with what the Bible teaches, maybe how I'm to help somebody. It's attention. And so that's why it's just so critical that we understand biblical principles and that over the next four weeks now, we are going to unpack those biblical principles We're also going to give you the opportunity some Sunday mornings, as soon as you walk out of here, you will have the ability to put your time and your money where your math is and have the opportunity to grow in this area. Uh, We have three goals to this sermon series. First of all, in anything that we do as Christians, our number one thing is to bring glory to God. So as we grow in compassion, we give Him glory. The second thing is this, that we will think deeply Okay, if I'm a Christian, I'm called to be compassion, compassionate. Am I being compassionate? What am I doing to be compassionate? And we, we look deeply at what we're doing. We put on our compassion thinking caps. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is that we'll change, that we're going to grow in this area. Maybe you're already at the 40-yard line of the, component, of the opponent's um, field, and you're marching down. May this be an encouragement to you. Maybe you're at the 20-yard line, your own 20-yard line, and you're sitting there going, yeah, I haven't moved very much, not moving very fast, and this will be something that inspires you. Maybe you're sitting in the end zone in a lawn chair with your, um, you know, Arnold Palmer or your iced tea or something, and you're just happy watching other people be compassionate, and you'll be challenged like, hey, man, I need to put away my lawn chair and get growing. And so that's, that's part of it. we got to keep in mind that the Christian, we are saved by faith. But a saving faith yields fruit. We should be able to see fruit out of our saving faith. And compassion yields fruit. So with that, we're going to pick up next week. We are going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Every week's my favorite, though. i got to say that. But next week, uh, we're going to talk about compassion for children. 
There's children suffering around the world. There's children suffering uh, here in Franklin County. Um, There's just so much to talk about, so that's what we're going to talk about next week, and um, we're going to pick it up with that. Now, um, as I said, Christians are called to be compassionate, but you may not have even given your life to Christ yet, and maybe you're thinking that, you know what, I, I need to make that decision. Maybe I'm here every week, maybe you're here every week, and you've never done that yet. And so I would just encourage you not to put it off. Um, If you believe that Jesus is who he is, if you believe that he is God's son, that he resurrected from the grave, and you're willing to make him Lord and Savior of your life, that's what you need to do to to your starting point. Your baptism's not your finish. It's just putting, just getting into the pool. That's kind of an odd pun, but, you know, really, uh, that's where it all starts. And we'll take your confession of faith and you can meet him in Christian baptism and have your sins washed away and receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want to come down and talk and and pray. That's fine too. Maybe some of the elders can join me or or Dave or some of the staff. And uh, so I would just invite you to do this right now while the praise team sings. Will you stand and sing with us?